final segment of the show, Canuck Central, Satyar Shah with Vic Nazar. And to talk draft and more, let's bring in our good friend, draft analyst, hockey analyst, Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet joining us. Sam, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. I'm, I'm at, uh, the kids are at the age where they hijack the phone. <laughs> but, but we were, having said that, we were cooking and the ringer was off. So I think we got a nice combination of a couple of uh, forces working against us to be a little bit late. All right, but it's all good because we have you here. We have a segment to go on the show here. And, and we won't keep you too long, but we were discussing, you know, obviously the NHL draft and everything like that. The Canucks are picking at number 11. And, you know, one of the questions that, that I'm kind of wondering about here is, you hear a lot of different discussions about how big that second tier is um, outside of top three or four guys in this year's draft. Like, how, how far do you think it goes in this year's draft? Like, is it 15? Is it deeper? Like, what do you look at that tier going? So, tier one, Bedard. <laughs> tier two, Fantilli Carlson. Tier three, Mitch Koff, Benson, Smith, Leonard, probably Reinbacher. So I'd say there's a probably a good a good eight. That probably brings it right to Vancouver's pick, to be honest with you. I'd say there's a grouping of about eight guys. I mean, two things are going to change what happens in the top ten. Is who's going to jump first on the defenseman? Is it Arizona with uh, you know pick six and nine? I believe who jumps on Mitchkoff? Who's going to um, you know take the risk there? Washington at number eight would be a reasonable. Um, destination Detroit maybe at whatever they are eight or nine nine I think uh, reasonable destination sure so what happens with those two things which D-man goes first and how early and where Mitchkoff goes and how early are going to impact what uh, is left for Vancouver at 11. Is, is it okay so if those two things happen and, and let's say they go in the first eight like, who's the guy that's suddenly on alert that, like, hey, this guy's sliding a bit? Is it Will Smith? Is it Benson? Like, what's the one that stands out to you? Is like, okay, this one's – a team's getting some value. Benson, I think, would be in that conversation. Braden Jaeger, uh, Jaeger would be in that conversation. Um, I think Axel Sandin Pelica, because I believe Reinbacher will be first off the list. Some people tend to think differently. So one of those two right-shot defensemen might be available. Um, Benson, maybe just because of size bias, might end up there. Same thing with Jaeger. Uh, Colby Barlow, I think, is going to definitely be in the conversation there. So, you know, there's a, there's a few targets. The other guy that might be uh, right in that neighborhood and probably in the neighborhood where he should be would be Oliver Moore of the U.S. Uh, National Training and Development Program. So there there's going to be options there for sure. And, and I think Vancouver would have to be happy with those options. What do you make of Tom Willander and, and all the hype around him being one of the top defensemen taken in this year's draft? I think the hype is added in part because of the fact that there are fewer defensemen expected to go in round one. I think the record low is five. You know, I'm looking at like right in that neighborhood, five to seven. So if you are looking at Reinbacher and Axel Sandin Pelica as the first two, there's a pretty good chance Willander is the next guy. So, you know, where you might have figured, you know, he's in that 23 to 28 range because of the lack of high-end defensemen, maybe that gets bolted up in that 15 to 20 range. And if that's something that Vancouver thinks uh, 
they can address a positional need and maybe they're not as excited about some of the forwards that might be available there, then it, it might be a situation where Vancouver uh, has that player um, you know, available for him at 11. Talking to Sam Constantino here on Canucks Central here on Sportsnet 650. So we're, we're, we're still a, a, you know, 38, 39 days out. And uh, I'm just curious about like a, a names that might rise here later on. And, and a, a name that I feel like we heard earlier on and maybe not so much, and I know it's a bit deeper away from 11, but like a Gavin Brindley. And I always look at guys that are next to like star players in this draft. And I'm just curious, like, has – is the shine there for someone like that that played near uh, Fantilli? Oh, definitely. So there's there's two reasons. I mean, deservedly because of the way he plays. You know, he plays bigger than his size. He's mm-hmm. um, a super compete guy. And then you're getting additional looks because everyone is in there watching Fantilli as much as possible. So it is that sort of typical thing that we see a lot in the CHL where you go in to watch one player and all of a sudden, and, and Seattle would be a great example of this. Um, and now you're looking at Grayson Sachin and you're looking at um, uh, Nick Mjadovic and people are saying, oh, wait a sec, what about that defenseman 43, Sawyer Minio? He's pretty good too. He's a pretty steady Eddie type of guy. So a lot of times players benefit from being on teams with players that might be more highly sought after. Mm-hmm. And I think that would definitely be the case for Brindley. Well, you know, I think he's a guy, obviously, who's who's been mentioned a lot in terms of perhaps going a bit higher. And, you know, Colby Barlow is another guy that kind of gets that type of hype as well. Would it surprise you to see a guy like Colby Barlow or Brindley or perhaps even a guy like Matthew Wood go a bit higher than we're maybe assuming right now? Yeah, well, I think we have to look at so for someone like Wood, you're definitely looking at the recency bias of what happened at mm-hmm. the under-18. And then you track back to his body of work, you know, leading UConn and scoring as, uh, you know, as the, the youngest guy in, in college hockey. That's, that's really impressive stuff. So you, you start the year as basically the 13th guy playing on the Olenka Gretzky team, and you progress with a really good year at UConn under coach Mike Cavanaugh. And then you end the year in fine fashion, getting an opportunity that might not have existed for him because of all the high-end players being available at Palenka and not necessarily being available for Canada in April. And then he takes that ball and he rolls with it. So he's a guy, too, that's probably going to be in that top 15 range. Um, Barlow, to me, is a really, really interesting guy. Banged up at the under-18s, probably shouldn't have been playing in it. But his body of work over the last two years, um, not only with his goal-scoring ability, but uh, from a character perspective, I hold him in high, high regard, and I expect him to be a top-10 guy uh, despite not really having a really good under-18s, due mostly in part because of his injury. I- I'm curious too, Sam, as we are talking about that tears earlier, it just kind of occurred to me. Like, I, I feel like there's two players that um, maybe kind of define what the – the edges of that next tier, and is it Hanzik and Danielson? And, and now I know you're higher on them. I think you had them 10 and 11 in your last rankings. But I, I feel like the the superstar impact maybe not might not be the for them. But you're getting reliable, solid players. Is is that kind of when we see when how teams will define what that tier looks like? Well, definitely with Danielson because mm-hmm. he's you know what what people would define as a safe pick. So oftentimes you're asked, like, what's a safe pick? So a safe pick to me is a guy that has a B game that if he doesn't produce, and you would expect people that go on the top 15 to be producers for you, that if they're not of that ilk, 
that they're still going to be PK guys. They're going to be matchup guys. They're going to be important face-off guys. They're going to be basically that third-line type of center player. So I, I hold Danielson in that regard. For some, that might devalue him because you are concerned about how high the ceiling is for that player. For me, I like that value. And if you look at those players in the playoffs now, thinking about Florida and thinking about Vegas, you know, that 3C position, have a good solid guy there, mm-hmm. is super, super important. Now, Hansik is a little bit of a different story for me because he's played pro at such a young age, then comes over and does really good things in the WHL. You know, he gets hurt um, right around the prospects game, comes back and proves that he's at the top of his game. But you love the size, you love the skill that goes with that size, the puck protectability that he has, his shooting ability. And then you take a few minutes and meet with the young man and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. This guy's got pro written all over him. And so for me, that's sort of what's elevated the value. Like he's a really thoughtful guy. He's really thinking about how's my career going to go? Where am I best served? Okay, I'm best served by going to North America. My dream is to play in the NHL. So I'm going to go play in barns that are the same size as the NHL. I'm going to go play a schedule in the CHL that somewhat mimics what I'm going to see in the National Hockey League. I'm going to go to a big market where I'm going to get all kinds of exposure in front of scouts in the same city as an NHL team. Like he's really, mm-hmm. he's really thought this out, you know, down the, down the road. And I like that because guys are, you know, when they're thinking that far ahead, it tells me a lot about what type of person uh, he is. And it also tells me about his preparedness, which is something that I think you have to have to play in the national hockey league. So he too holds, uh, you know, I hold him in high, high regard both him and Barlow on the character side mm-hmm. for sure. And I think that's, uh, that will be interesting to uh, NHL teams as well. We're in conversation with Sam Constantino here on Sports, uh, Sportsnet 650's Canucks Central. And, you know, it's interesting looking a bit deeper. And one of the things I was kind of throwing out is the Canucks perhaps considering moving down in the draft and, and getting to that 19-20 spot potentially. And if that does happen, it does open up the list of a number of different players. And, and one guy who I've seen, you know, be ranked a bit higher on some people's lists, and, and he's kind of been all over the place a little bit, but he's a centerman, and that is Otto Stenberg. You have him on number 16 playing a full limit yeah. this past year. And is he one of the guys that we should be paying more attention to considering how mature his game is for somebody who's 18, turned 18 just this month? And he actually played for almost half the season in the SHL, which is not a small feat for a player like him. Yeah, and that's, that's a huge point. So I loved him at the Halenka. And he did some things there where, where you were really super impressed by his two-way game, the maturity in his game that, that you talk about. So, And then he goes back and he bounces around up and down SHL, not getting a ton of minutes. But then I revert back to November when I saw him in Plymouth at the Four Nations. I'm like, all right, this guy is creating opportunities every time he's out there. Finishing has been a bit of a challenge for him, but he seems to be in the right place and he, the puck seems to follow this guy around. So then he goes back, and again, there's bouncing around and lack of minutes, and, and so you get disheartened by that. But you also have to realize, here's a kid in this draft year playing in a tough league where winning is the, is the priority and not necessary development. And then you get back to a situation where you see him back with his peer group on the national team with the under-18s, and you get a real sense for what this player can be when compared to, to players uh, of his same age, and also where he's been given regular opportunity to be a contributor so for Stenberg he too is a sneaky guy like I wouldn't be surprised at all if he got into that uh, you know that 10 10 range that 8 8 to 10 range I really 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 like him and 
And again, uh, you know, I think you brought up a key point when you talk about the maturity in this game. Yeah, I heard, heard a lot of interesting things about that kid, and we'll, and we'll see ultimately where he gets drafted. And quickly before we let you go, Matvey Michkov, um, is there any sense of how far he might fall in the draft? I mean, there are some suggestions he may fall out of the top 10 even. Like, do we have any sense of where this might go with this kid? The sense I think you have to, like there's really, I don't, I don't think there really is an answer other than two things. The two factors for me are teams with multi-picks. So you're looking at Arizona, St. Louis at 10 with multiple picks. After that, I think three in the first round. Nashville's got a couple. Arizona's got a high one. I think they're six and nine. And then you'd have to look at teams that have had some success or good relations with Russian players. And, and the obvious one there is, is, is Ovechkin and Washington picking at eight. That's the best sense that I can give you as to what would happen with Mitchkoff. I just don't think that if you're San Jose and you're Mike Greer, you can't afford to wait on that pick. Mm-hmm. If you're Pat Verbeek, you can't afford to wait on that pick. You know, if you're Columbus and you're Mokekulin, and you surely can't afford to wait for that pick. So if I see a team ahead of Washington take him, then I would feel very confident that they've done their due diligence to get the player over to North America right away. I just don't see in the political climate that that's a possibility, except for one team, and that's the Ovechkin-led Washington Capitals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, hired a new coach today who's had a lot of success with young players. He's coached in junior before. He's been in the coast, American League. That, that makes some sense for me because it almost seems like with Ovechkin, maybe there's a hall pass there. Yeah, no, I, I can see that as well. And and Sam, I think with him, and then we'll see ultimately where Will Smith go, goes. I think in the top 10, those are the two I'm most fascinated about, at least at this stage. And, and we still have a month to go before the draft comes, and we appreciate your time so far, Sam. And we'll be chatting with you again very soon as we lead up to June's draft here. Yeah, sounds good, guys. I'm glad we can make it work. Smith, I'd say five or higher. Yeah. And, yeah. and it wouldn't shock me if he got into the three-hole. Yeah. I mean, that kind, of, kind of seems to be the buzz, which which kind of reminds me of 2016 a little bit, right? Where we talked about poor Yarvi being the third pick and then, yeah. you know, Dubois goes third. So maybe we have another surprise like that this year. Yeah, that that wouldn't be a, a huge surprise. That's for sure. Awesome young man. Spent uh, some time with him in a couple dinner, different interview sessions and have another one coming up with him in uh, – at the Combine in Buffalo next week. Yeah, great stuff. And uh, if you haven't checked it out, go check out Sam's draft rankings and also his Memorial Cup preview, which which is a great read as well. Great stuff as always, Sam. Appreciate your time, man. Okay, guys. Thanks a lot. Take care. Have a good night. You got it. We'll chat soon. That's Sam Cosentino, Sportsnet's very own draft expert. And I think those are the two th- big things to keep an, out, keep an eye out in the top thing. Where does Carlson go? Because does one of those top three guys move down a little bit? Mm-hmm. And what does that do to a team picking a four? Do they just run up and take the guy? Or do they kind of say, hey, do we put the pick in play or whatever? So if Will Smith goes a bit high, does that change some things potentially? And then the Mitchkov one. You know, I don't think there's a bigger wild card in terms of high-end talent than Matt Faye Mitchkov in this year's draft. The fact that there's this surplus of elite talent at the top paired with the sequence of teams. Yeah. And what are their motivations is... I think a really interesting dynamic in this year's draft in comparison to other drafts. As Sam mentioned, like San Jose, are they in a spot where they can afford to miss? And look, teams at the top can't afford to miss in general, but just given 
what's happened in that team that has had so much success for so long. They're making this huge transition. They need to hit the ground running. Can you let a Mitchkov slide? Columbus, like, I really like the Columbus front office, but at some point you got to start having repeated playoff success. Actual success, sustained success. Yeah. Montreal, they've made some bets here. And this whole dynamic of why this draft is going to be so interesting, I think these teams influencing it rather than the players influencing the draft, I think is a fascinating dynamic. Well, that is interesting, too, because if— Arizona! They don't even have an arena. What, they may have to trade? I mean, <laughs> yeah. one of their highest picks, Cooley may not even want to play there. Logan Cooley won't go back. Clayton Keller wants to know, like, hey, what's going on with the organization? It's Their motivation is How does that change, yeah. right? Like, how does that change? Do they go, maybe not for a, a safer pick, but a, are they saying, like, we need someone in the, in, the, in the NHL soon? Yeah, it can't be somebody who we don't know what his ETA is and what his desire would be to even play for us or this league, potentially. And there is more risk for certain teams to make those types of moves. And, you know, that may conspire to a situation where Mitchkov is available a lot later, which also creates a completely different dynamic. And, and I think there's just, there's just so much uncertainty about this year's draft that I'm kind of lost. And we see people mentioning, you know, stuff like who would you take at 11? And, you know, if you wouldn't take like, I'm almost not going to say I don't take this guy at 11. Because if that list goes 16, 17, like, for instance, we were talking to, to, cause, to Sam, right? He has Hanzik at number 10 and 11. Mm-hmm. He's got Nate Danielson at 11. Yeah. So, again, to what I was saying earlier, it's like, I really like Nate Danielson, too. I'd be a little alarmed to take him at 11, but... So, what does that tell you? So, the consensus usually in top 15, 16 does not include those players. Mm-hmm. So, now there's two players. Add that to... So, again, like, this list can go to 18, 20, yep. and it gets really interesting. And even Otto Stenberg, who I don't think we spend enough time talking about. And here's what's interesting, right? Because sometimes tr- to try to figure out which teams are most interested are the teams that maybe watch the guy the most. And sometimes you watch a guy, not because you went out of your way to watch the guy, but it happened to be the guy who was there when you're watching somebody else. As we were just saying with Fantilli and all the other guys. Yeah. Go back to the Canucks when they took Ryan Kessler, for instance. The only reason they saw him was because they were scouting R.J. Umberger. Mm -hmm. And they saw that, like, this guy looks pretty good, too. We're, we're after Umberger. And, man, this guy's pretty good. And that's guy's how making they, plays all over the ice. Man, we like this guy a lot. Maybe we should go take the guy next year. And that's essentially what happened, right? So... Otto Stenberg, he played 23 games in the SHL this year. Only a couple points, one goal, two assists or something, nothing big, right? But the, but the feedback's been very mature, smart, two-way player, does a lot of good things. As a 17-year-old who just turned 18 like a couple days ago, I think it was, he played 23 games in the SHL. Oh, uh, yesterday. Yesterday. 23 games as a 17-year-old in the SHL. That's pretty impressive, right? What does that say about his maturity? And guess who he was teammates with? Pray tell, Sat. Philip Johansson. Righty defenseman for Canucks, Frolunda in the SHL. The Canucks have watched that guy a lot this year. At least Canucks, I'm not saying the Canucks are going to take him, Mm -hmm. but like, should that be a guy that we have to consider? You start looking at the Canucks have had eyes on him. They know that prospect probably as well as any prospect. They've watched him as much as anybody, considering they've been keeping tabs on Philip Johansson. They're doing their job on Johansson. They're by proxy uh, getting a lot of evidence on uh, Stenberg as well. And maybe they don't like what they see. But I think that's a name we shouldn't dismiss. And you start looking at some of the links, it gets a little bit interesting. 30-some-odd days to go. That's it? That's it? Uh, Jeremy and Langley, Pronman's tears are really interesting. That's true. I mean, you go through any single one of these guys, and yeah. I, I say this with, with a lot of admiration, actually. There doesn't seem to be, outside of the top three or four guys, there doesn't seem to be kind of this group think this year. Which is fun. Which is great. And I don't and maybe yeah. it's not just groupthink. I think it's maybe just to the point of this draft is special. It's mm-hmm. bigger. That tier, there are a lot of good players. It's hard to figure out who you rank where. But 
you know, I, I find very little, um, I'd say, carryover list to list to feel good about tiers. Like the first little group, the next is just all over the place. Like I, I've seen Willander eighth. I think Craig Button had Willander eighth overall on his list. You know what you need? Excel spreadsheets for this. Just put everyone's list in, and then find what the consensus is. Yeah. Average out all the ranks, and you'll find out what it's supposed to be. Anytime anything happens, Vic is like, you know what you need? Spreadsheets. An Excel spreadsheet. Anything, nothing spreadsheets won't fix. Uh, Marcus and Gibson asked, uh, how much influence does Tockett style play into this year's pick? I don't think, I don't think that. I think from the drafting, you have to look at the draft as a separate entity. Like you yeah. mentioned before, it's like, and somebody said, don't draft wingers. I'm like, take the best prospect possible mm-hmm. because it's more about the asset value of the player. Because, I mean, if you pick, if you don't take the best player and take the next best defenseman, if you're wrong on them, just, just take the best talent. I'll say it this way. I don't think physical and technical ability should influence it, but I think mental ability will play a part in it. Yes. And look, obviously everyone wants good character players, all that sort of stuff. But if you believe a player's skill set in a player's skill set, Rick Tucker will find a way to make it work. But the mentality of this player wants to be the best version of himself and self-starter, all those things, that as if if that's an organization ethos, then that has to be part of the equation. It's applicable, but it's not because of the coach. It's part of your Correct. ethos, not because of what the coach wants. Yes, yes. But, but it could be aligned. Yes. If if Mitchkov doesn't play the way Rick Tockett likes, but Rick Tockett recognizes that he might score 40 goals, Rick Tockett will find a way to make it work. Yeah, I mean, look at Kuzmenko, for instance. And I know he gave some tough love or whatever, and, you know, even benched him yes. a bit. But, I mean, it was all under the guise of make this guy a better player, yes. and he still scored 40 goals. Or did he score 40 this year, 39? Talent, talent will dictate yeah. whether the coach can fit the player in. And, 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 and Andre Kuzmenko famously scored 39 goals. 39 goals. And didn't he get 40? No. Didn't or 75 points. Yeah, no Canuck got 40 goals this year. And no former Canuck either. <laughs> oh, that's an end of the show. Slander on the way out. All right, it's, it's been a lot of fun here. You're the worst. <laughs> A lot of fun on Canuck Central as always. We'll be back at it again coming up tomorrow. A bit of a time difference. Instead of being three to five, we're on two to four tomorrow, but we'll be available on podcasts. People are shouting in the radios right now, Jared McCann scored 40! <laughs> okay, true, true, fair enough. That's what the former Canuck he was talking about. I was talking about Bye. this year, yes. <laughs> Bye. All right, have a great night. Thanks to Josh Elliott-Wolf, Elon, for producing the show. I'm Sat, that's Bick. Thanks for listening to Canuck Central.